My name is Martin. I'm from Maidstone. <clears throat> Alliteration in my name. He must be a preacher. Martin from Maidstone. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. Bring greetings from the Vine Church at Maidstone. I wander around, so tell me to sit, stand still, sound people, if I'm wandering too far. I'm going to get into trouble this morning, I'm sure. Well, good morning, and it's, it's great to be with you. It's good to see you. I, I, I gather last week you had Carl Maidman with you. Yes. I'm going to come a bit closer, because I feel a long way away. Is that going to cause you problems? No, that's good. <laughs> might not cause you problems, it might cause him problems at the back, but we should be good. So last week you had Carl Maidman with you, and he began to talk about um, everyone a witness. Is that right? Yes. Good, good, good. And he focused on, he was supposed to focus on um, words, and he talked about the life of Peter. Is that correct? That actually not sharing anything new, everyone a witness is, does exactly what it says it does, every one of us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And today I'm going to uh, carry on thinking about everyone a witness. How are we witnesses for Christ? Well, it's through our words, it's through our works, and it's through wonders. So please get ready for next week. Whoever's coming to speak, who's speaking next week? Sam's speaking next week on wonders. It's going to be good, I'm sure. But today I want us to think about what does it mean to be people who live a lifestyle, who do the things that God calls us to, that affect the lives of those around us. Through our works, people will come to know him. Can I pray as we begin? Father, we thank you for this opportunity of being together. Father, we thank you that you are here, our living God. And we pray, Father, would you speak to us this morning? As we read your word, as we think together, as we um, come in in worship to you in a, a few moments' time, Father, would you speak to us? Father, we want to be those that that, that James says uh, are the good ones that listen to the word of God and go and remember and do what it says. Father, we don't want to be those who hear the words and as soon as we leave the words, we just forget what it says and it has no transformatory power in our lives. So Father, would you by your spirit, would you convict us, would you change us, would you transform us, would you encourage us, would you build us up, would you help us today? Father, to be the people you've called us to be. For your glory, we ask. Amen. You may have heard it said, and you may like this quote. Preachers use it often. When it comes to works, letting your actions speak louder than your works. St. Francis of Assisi is reported to have said this. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. The sentiment here is our lifestyle should display the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we do should convey the goodness of God. And if we really have to, we should use words. That's a nice thing. It it does as well because we listened to Carl last week and we think, talking to other people about Jesus. I'll let my actions... Speak louder than my words. The sad thing is, if you like this statement, it's uh, believed that St. Francis of Assisi never actually said this. It's a, it's a nice thing to say, and it's a nice thing for us to think about, but he, he never actually said these words, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. If you scour his writing and the writing of his followers, you don't find anything that is the same as this. You see, St. Francis... Francis from Assisi, he was a preacher of truth. 
He was converted in a prison cell. His life was transformed and he, on some days, would go to five different locations to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. In the countryside, he would stand on hay bales or stiles or, or whatever he could find to elevate himself to speak those who were gathered in that place. Uh, whether he, when he was in the towns, he would climb into doorways or, or find raised platforms and would proclaim the good news of Jesus to any who were gathered around. He loved to declare the truths of God. But he was also challenged in his heart from his conversion to actually demonstrate the things that he was preaching about, to put into action the things that he had heard in the scriptures and he had received from those who taught him. He, he did the things that he talked about in front of the crowds. He would give his fine clothes to a poor beggar on a street. He would give food to the hungry. He would take care of those who had need. If you like reading uh, ancient documents... Rule 1221, chapter 12, in his uh, book to the Franciscan monks, the, those who, the order that was grown up under him, he wrote these words. No brothers who preach contrary to the form and regulations of the Holy Church, unless he has been permitted by his minister. All the friars should preach by their deeds. So we are to preach, use our words, to declare the truths that have been handed down to us. We will probably have a conversation with Francis if we had opportunity to about what those teachings should be and what we should preach. But he said to his friends, preach wherever you go. Use your words to declare the truths of God. But also put into action the things that you talk about. The essence of his, what he actually said was this. Preach the word, declare the truth, and do what you're speaking about doing. You see, our words matter. What we say matters. What we believe matters. What we declare to others matter. Paul, uh, Carl touched on that last week. Our works equally matter. Listening to the words and putting it into action matters. How we live our lives matter. Both our words and actions are important as one another as we seek to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus was asked on one day, what's the greatest commandment? Being sought to be tripped up by the experts in the law. He'd had arguments with the Sadducees, or they'd had arguments with him. They're, they're trying to trip him up. What is it that Jesus says? We know it so well. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your, uh, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. You want to sum up the whole of the Old Testament? You want to hang uh, the Old Testament on one peg? This much of the Bible, how do we summarise it? Love God... And love others. That's how we summarise it. It's simple. This is at the heart of what we believe. This is at the heart of who we are. It's at the heart of who God has called us to be, his people here today. We're to love God. We're to love others. Matthew 22, verse 34 on, if you're making notes. It's interesting when 
Jesus was talking to another expert, a lawyer, Luke 10, 25. The lawyer asked him, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Trying to trap Jesus, trying to trick him, draw him into conversation. And Jesus responded like this. He said to him, what is written in the law? You want to know how you inherit eternal life? Well, what's written? What does the Old Testament tell us about what we should do? And the words of the lawyer are interesting because of the same words that Jesus used to summarize the Old Testament. He answered, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' response to him was this. You have answered correctly, do this and you will live. You know it. Go and do it. You see, knowing it is not enough. Putting it into action is what we're called to do. It's off the back of this conversation that Jesus then preaches the parable of the Good Samaritan. The man travelling on his journeys, he's robbed, he's beaten, he, he, he's left with barely a breath in his body. And the priest comes along, a man of God, reputedly, and sees him there, and instead of helping him, he takes a white berth and he travels on his way. Why? Because he doesn't want to find himself in the same predicament. A Levite, an expert in the teachings of God in the Old Testament, does exactly the same. He walks on by, not wanting to find himself in the same circumstances as this poor man. Then the Samaritan comes along. You know the story. The one who's an enemy culturally from the man who's been beaten. And he takes care of his needs. He bandages his wounds. He brings him to a safe haven. He provides finances for his care to continue whilst he sets himself further on his travels. Jesus asked this question when he finished telling this story. Which of these three do you think uh, proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. At the heart of the teaching of Jesus is that we are to love God. Who is God? He is Yahweh. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are to love him with all that we are. Isn't it great when we're in great times of worship, when we have those great encounter times with God in our quiet times? If you haven't had them, hang in there. Keep pressing into God because you will have them. It's great just loving him. But we also to love one another. We're to love our neighbour. Who is our neighbour? Everyone. Look at the person next to you. They're your physical neighbour here. You have people living next door to you. Uh, uh, in your streets, roads, avenues, ways, whatever else you may live in. You, you have people living around you. They are your neighbours. We talk to them as our neighbours. But the reality is, is anyone that you come into contact in life is your neighbour. And Jesus unambiguously says, we are to love them. That's what the whole of the Old Testament is teaching us. That is what he is calling us to also. 
And if we start looking at the early church, we can see that they were under no illusions that this is what they were called to. They, they knew that this is what God wanted them to do. Acts 2.42, reading on. I love this passage of scripture. Holy Spirit has fallen. Jesus said, wait, receive power, be my witnesses. And they receive power. They are witnesses. The, the church explodes. Loads of people are saved. And then we read this little summary of what was going on at that time. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Listening to teaching is really important. This to be good teaching. Need to have uh, minds open. Is he saying correct things? If I say something wrong today, please do come and speak to me. I'd love to have a conversation about it. Why? Because I want to grow. Because we make mistakes from time to time. Listening to good teaching is important. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To fellowship, spending time with one another. To the breaking of bread. Remembering Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection. The new covenant that was found in his blood. And that there is a hope that is going to be fulfilled one day. The breaking of bread and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all the believers were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What was the early church like? There was people who had need amongst them. So those who had excess, we're told about Barnabas, he had a field, he didn't need the field. He sells the fields, he takes the money, he gives it to the apostles, and the money is used to take care of those who were around them who had needs. So that it was that no one had needs. They were doing the loving our neighbours that Jesus said we are to do. If you read on Acts chapter 6, we hear of a complaint rising up in the church. The Hellenists, their, their widows were being overlooked. The Hebrew women were being taken care of and they complained. They went to the apostles and said, our women are being overlooked. Those who've got no means for providing for themselves. They're going without. They're not getting their daily provision. So what are the apostles saying? Well, we're too busy preaching the word. No, they committed some good men from amongst their own numbers and say, take care of this. This is important for us to take care of. We need to be dealing with the, the, the things that need to be taken care of. They need feeding. They need Drink. They need provision day by day. And it's our responsibility as a community to provide for their needs. They dealt with the issue. If we read on in the book of Acts, we can get to Acts chapter 15 where Paul and Barnabas go up to Jerusalem. They go to check out that they haven't been preaching in vain. They go there to, to make sure that the gospel is the gospel, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. That, that is the message they should be preaching because there have been some that have come from Jerusalem and uh, they were saying that actually, if you're a Gentile, you need to add to Jesus' circumcision. You need to come under somehow the law and that's how you're saved. And Paul went to Jerusalem to, to challenge that, to have a conversation with those who are in charge. You can read about it in Acts chapter 15. You can read about it in Galatians chapter 2. And having met with James and Peter and John, having spent some time with them, they concluded that 
The gospel that we're preaching is the gospel. That you don't need to add anything to Jesus to be saved. And James wrote a letter concluding this so that as Paul went on his way, all the churches would know what is the gospel and what is it we must do. And he added one thing at the end, Galatians 2, chapter, uh, verse 10. He said, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing we were eager to do. Confirmed what the gospel is, we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a gift of grace alone. We add nothing to it. Add anything to grace, and grace no longer is grace. We're not saved by works, we're saved by faith alone. But remember the poor. Know the truth and preach the gospel, but as you go, take care of the poor and the needy around you. It's hard for us to worm our way out of it, to say that doesn't apply today. That's not for us. At the heart of Jesus' teaching is we are to love our neighbour. Whatever our neighbour needs, we are to love them and take care of them. For the early church, they reminded us we must remember the poor. Who are the poor? It's those who find themselves in a situation that they can do nothing about to escape from that situation. Those who find themselves trapped, unable to change their situation and escape that situation. And it goes much further than economic poverty. We can so easily sit here and think of the poor are the ones who live on that road or that road or wear these clothes and goes to those shops. It's so easy for us to think about it in economic terms, when in reality, poverty has many faces. You see, there, are, there is physical poverty. Jesus dealt with this. Do you remember when he was teaching the crowds? Over 5,000 were gathered. They had been teaching all day. The people were hungry. What was their predicament? They were hungry. They had no food. They didn't expect to be out so long. And Jesus said to his disciples, Go and feed them, would you? He says, oh, we haven't got anything apart from this. Send them away. Jesus said, they've got nowhere to go. You feed them. And he took the basket from the boy, freely given to him. He prayed, and the disciples distributed it. He took care of their physical need. They were hungry, and he fed them. And at the end, they were satisfied. So much so, there were 12 baskets left, wasn't there? You see, Jesus took care of physical needs. He also took care of emotional needs. Do you remember when he went up through Samaria? Met the woman of the well. She's out in the midday sun. She's out when no one else would be out. Why? Because she was a social outcast. She was not in the heart of society. Her story was heart-wrenching. Had multiple relationships was not in keeping with the rest of the community. She was emotionally poor. And what did Jesus do? He spoke to her. He asked, can you help me? Can you help me? Someone who felt like they had nothing. Helping someone who seemed to have everything. And they entered into a conversation where Jesus gave words of life. Gave her love honoured her, cared for her, 
And the result was she was transformed in encountering Jesus. She was there emotionally poor. And Jesus ministered to her and brought transformation. We could think about social poverty. We could think about Zacchaeus. He was a very little man. A very little man was he. And one day he climbs up to the top of a sycamore tree. We know the song. Um, here's a guy who, through his own actions, had been rejected by his community. Through swindling and taking from others, had been rejected by those around him. He deserved to be alone, didn't he? He's up. Yes, you did. You're white. He did deserve to be alone. He's up a tree. He can't see. He's given no space. He's out of community. Socially, he's in poverty. And Jesus stops and encounters him. Asks to spend some time together. Goes to his house. Has food with him. What's the result? Zacchaeus' life is transformed. It's changed having encountered Jesus. Zacchaeus was so transformed that he decided then and there to give half his money to the poor. Just take a moment. What must have Jesus said? What must have been going on in his spirit? That his response, someone who was trying to grab as much as he could, then gave half of his wealth to the poor. And a pledge that if he's taken anything from anyone, he'll give them four times back what he had taken. So transformed was he having spent time with Jesus. He was socially poor. Yet God was bringing reconnection for him. We can think of spiritual poverty. So many in our lands today are spiritually poor. They don't know which way to turn or who to put their hope in. Do you remember that night when Nicodemus came to Jesus and had a conversation with Jesus? Nicodemus was a teacher of the law, a teacher of Israel. John chapter 3, if you want to look it up. He was supposed to be telling everyone else what it was to please God. Yet he came to Jesus and Jesus says, you need to be born again. He's like, I don't get it. How can anyone inherit the kingdom of God then? And Jesus said to him, you need to understand this, that you need to be born of water and of spirit. Unless God makes you alive, you cannot be alive. He was spiritually poor. Jesus spoke words of truth and life. And not immediately. He didn't turn to Jesus then. But we see reading through the Gospels that he shows up a couple of times more. And it's reported later on. He was a follower of the way. He was in spiritual poverty. He didn't know where to turn or what to do. Though he had spent many years studying the scriptures. And Jesus gave him words of life. Jesus said these words. The light of the world, the one who came and stepped into darkness, said this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it into a basket, or on a stand, um, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good deed, good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. Who's going to shine the good news of Jesus in Faversham, in your workplace, in your home, in your streets? It's you. 
The light of the world, the one who came into darkness, now says, you are the light of the world. It's through you that the light of God is going to be shone. Don't hide it. Don't tuck it away. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Everyone can see it. Why? Because it's on a hill. And its light shines out. That's how you are to be. Church, I want to say this. So often we hide who we are. We hide the light that God has given us. Where there is a word of encouragement, where there is a, a, a deed of kindness that needs to be done, sometimes we just shrink back. Jesus says, the new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Who are we to be? We're to be those who love. We're to be those who show kindness. Who see where people are. It might be economic poverty. It might be uh, spiritual poverty. It might be social isolation. Poverty comes in so many different forms. And we are to be those who come in and we minister the love of God in each and every circumstance that we face. That's who we are called to be. This week, as a church, we opened uh, one of our buildings. We've refurbed it, put in an almost £100,000 kitchen to enable us to do what we do even better on uh, uh, an ex-council estate in Maidstone, a place called Shetway. And um, we had a big opening party, and all the regulars came back, which was fantastic. It's their place, they own it, and uh, they came and uh, took their place. We also had an MP there, and many of the councillors from Maidstone turning up, all these people, and... We had one person there who, between you and me, doesn't like us. Doesn't like who we are. Doesn't like what we do. And really doesn't like what we believe. They are very vocal about their displeasure as to who we are. It was interesting that they came along. I had a conversation. And they were overwhelmed by what they saw. You make a difference. I can't believe this. You make a difference. What did they see in that moment? They saw the effects of being kind to people. They saw the effects of loving people. They saw the effects of spending time and listening to people. In showing the love of God to people who, many of whom, lives were broken. We had a a video playing and and one person on the videotape was like, before I came here, my life was in pieces. But through love, care, listening, I feel like I've got purpose again. I feel like my life is back together. Again, what is it we do in Oasis Cafe? It opens a couple of mornings a week in our building. Do you know what we do? We serve tea and coffee, instant, not uh, filtered, because that's what people like. (laughs) We serve good food. We have people around to just spend time, to chat, to chat the morning away to spend time with them playing with their kids, to listen to their story and to show love. We get to pray for some people if they want us to pray for them and if they don't, we pray for them when they're not there and they don't know and it's okay. (laughs) Sorry if you're listening. Um, We're just kind to people and the numbers of stories are more than I can count. As a church, we invest in spending time with people Listening to them, loving them. We have a shop that does the same. 
We have a computer skills centre that does the same. Opportunities for us to spend time with people, to listen to them, to love them, to help them. You don't know how to use a computer? That's hindering you because so much stuff's going online? Let us teach you. Let us help you learn how to use a computer. And as we do that, we get into conversation and we, we listen to what's going on in their life. And invariably, they ask what's going on in your life. And the people that are there to help share. Well, you never guess what. I saw this lady. She was healed on Sunday. You never guess what. This happens. That happens. You might be sat there thinking, yeah, yeah, that's all good, but I work for a living. I haven't got time to get involved in a church project during the week. Well, I used to work for a living before I worked for a church. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. Um, when I was about uh, 19, 20, um, I was a, a driver cleaner for a, a garage. So I drove cars, uh, drove some really nice cars, best car was a Rolls Royce. You wallow down the road, that's an aside. Um, anyway, uh, and I used to clean up. So the first day I was there, I went in, my job was to clean, so clean I did. And I cleaned everything. And the, the mechanics thought I was crazy. Because every thumbprint, every mark, inside the drawers, everywhere, they were expecting the rubbish to be picked up and that it. But I went to town and the place was sparkling. They sat down in the coffee break and they make it all muck, mucky. So after coffee break, I cleaned it all up again. Why? Why did I do that? Because I knew in Colossians 3 it says, whatever you do, do it as though you're doing it for the Lord. Colossians 3.23, I believe it is. And on day two I came back and it was in a state, so I cleaned again. And day three I cleaned again. All the time I was there, I made sure that that place was spotless. The mechanics would laugh, but then they found some respect and they're like, it's never been cleaner since you've been here. Why was I doing that? To love them, to make sure they had a good environment to work in, and everything I do, I want to do as though doing it to the Lord. Well, after X number of months, I got summoned to the manager of the whole company, and that only meant bad news. You only got to see him if you were going to be given your notice, and you were going to be get shot off, got shot off. And he called me into his office, and I was a bit scared. I'd never had a conversation with him before. I was the cleaner driver. Uh, uh, and there's no way I should be speaking to this man who was over a number of garages. He called me in and he sat me down. <clears throat> I thought, this is going to be bad. And he says, I've seen what you've been doing. I said, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard what you do when you're not with us. And I thought, well, that's not good. What's that? <laughs> yeah, it was okay. I, I worked for a church and I did youth work across the county. And I served in a Christian school when I wasn't working part-time in the garage. And what happened next, I'm never going to forget for the rest of my life. He began to cry, and he began to tell me his story, and how he grew up, and the things that happened to him. And all he wanted to do in calling me into his office is to thank me for who I was and what I was doing, because people like me are important, because they make a difference in other people's lives. And he wanted to just give testimony to that. He didn't use those words. He wasn't a Christian. But people like me had helped him many years before. And he had seen it and he recognised it in me. And he just wanted to connect with me. And he poured all this stuff out. It was a bizarre moment. But how did that moment come about? By me being kind. Working as though I'm working for the Lord. Taking the truth of scripture and putting it into action. And through love and demonstrating love, my actions led to conversations that led to an emotional encounter. You might be sat there thinking, but I don't work 
I can see the time I'll be finished in just a moment. We all have homes. We all have possessions in our homes. You may, may have lots, you may have little. Sarah and I came back from South Korea. We lived over there 13 years ago and God has blessed us with much since then. But over the 20 years that we've been married, I, there's rarely been a time where we haven't had someone else live with us. Take the spare bed in the spare room. They might stay a night. They might stay a couple of years, I think is the longest. We've had young, vulnerable girls. We've had old women. We've had homeless guys, students, lost and confused people, international visitors, vulnerable people from all walks of life. Responding to the prompting of God, we've opened our house to look after people. We weren't foolish about it. One guy, I had complete disquiet about, so we locked him in the conservatory. He had a door that he can get out of the garden, but he didn't have access to the rest of the house. We operated wisely. Other people who came and lived with us, we entered into agreement about, this is my house, these are my rules. Not heavy, but in conversation, this is how we show respect to each other. So we didn't just go out and find someone on the street, come back to my house. We did it wisely. But we opened our homes up. Why? Because we're to show hospitality. We're to welcome the stranger. We are to take care of the poor. You see, in your life, there are many poor people walking around you day by day. They might be economically poor, socially poor, emotionally poor, spiritually poor, or some other poverties that I haven't even thought about. But God wants you to demonstrate his love by taking care of their needs. Jesus said, this is, this is how you sum up the whole of the Old Testament. This is who we are to be. The question is, are we? Are we doing that? Are we ministering to the poor around us? And I don't say it as a, a question of judgment, but a question of reflection. Are we doing what God has asked us to do? Are we making the most of the opportunities that we have? I've got some quotes for you as I draw to a conclusion. George Muller established many children's homes and saw God provide immensely for him. He says this, I hope in God. I pray and look yet for the answer. They're not converted yet, but they will be. Our walk counts far more than our talk. William Wilberforce, you might have heard of him. He said this. True Christians consider themselves not as satisfying some religious creditor, but as discharging a debt of gratitude. God, having so loved us, we then go and love others. Not out of obligation, but out of sheer desire to reflect him in our lives. Amy Carmichael said this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, said these words, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. I like that one. <laughs> George Whitfield, 
I would wear, rather wear out than rust out. I would wear, rather wear out than rust out. Hudson Taylor, this is provoking. Unless there is an element of extreme risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. Unless there is the element of extreme risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. You see, you can make a difference. And God wants you to make a difference to the poor around us. And the question is, have we heard the call? And are we responding to it? The band can come back up. I'm going to read these words. A song written by St Francis of Assisi. You may remember it if you've been around the church for some time. And I encourage you to listen to the words because it really echoes the sentiment of what I've been saying this morning. That in witnessing for Christ, our actions need to follow our beliefs and our words. And that we need to love others and take care of their needs. He writes this. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Can I invite you to stand? And I'm going to pray. And then we're going to worship our God. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your amazing love. Father, we thank you for your life. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have. And Father, we pray, may we know you more. And Father, as we live this life that you've placed us in, Father, would you help us to show your love, to minister to the poor and see their lives transformed. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.